As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Tommy Solo's Famous Friends. This is where I get to chat with people who I've connected with in the world of arts and entertainment over the years, and today I'm very happy to have with me Canada's most socially relevant comedian, Kenny Robinson. Welcome to the show, Kenny. Thank you for having me. Well, it's absolutely my pleasure. Yeah, now, uh, I remember meeting you in a bar, of all places, way back... Every good story starts that way, doesn't it? Just so, yeah. (laughs) It was, I think, 2008, circa thereabouts, and you, I believe, were performing down the street at uh, Yuck Yucks, and I had a band, a cover band at the time, that was playing at the Scott's Corner Pub, and you just happened in there, and we we had a a fairly decent conversation and a drink, I think, and ever since then, you've just been skyrocketing into the stratosphere with your your comedy, so uh, I'm going to ask you... Were you the class clown? What got you into comedy in the first place? Well, I came from a showbiz background, so I wanted to be an actor. But when I was going to the University of Winnipeg, you know, I was taking drama there. And all the auditions were, none of the part, you know, they did like Diary of Anne Frank. Well, you know, I was 18 years old with a Billy Preston type apple, so there was no part for me in that. So stand-up just became a place where I could get onto the stage immediately. But I grew up watching, you know, with my dad, watching Mike Douglas' show every afternoon with the comics that he had on and, and what have you. And, you know, being aware of, of Dangerfield and, and Rickles and, you know, prior before he, you know, popped open big. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's like asking a Canadian kid, when did you start playing hockey? Well, you know, I guess always. <laughs> yeah. No matter if it's tabletop or ball hockey, it's still, you know, there's still that stick around. So for me, the entertainment business is always around. Cool. So you came by it honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, over the years, you've accomplished quite a few things. And I understand that you have won the Now Magazine's Comic of the Year Award a couple of times. Yeah, a couple of times. The first one was a real surprise and thrill because it was from the show I opened up for Chris Rock. And it was just after Chris had been fired from Saturday Night Live. And this show that they didn't even know how to bill, how to advertise for Chris. They advertised him as the black guy from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> so that tells you the situation, the way the times was at that period, you know. 
Yeah, no kidding. And then yeah. as, as if he was the first black guy from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> anyway. Well, well, he was, uh, I think he was the one after Eddie. So, you know, that was uh, all the recognition, you know, that the promoters could attach to him at the time. Okay, editor's note, with all due respect to both Chris Rock and to Kenny Robinson and their personal relationship, I feel like I need to explain why I thought it was funny that anyone would bill Chris Rock as the black guy from Saturday Night Live. It was, in fact, Garrett Morris, who was an original member of the Not Ready for Primetime Players, which also included Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, Chevy Chase, George Coe, Jane Curtin, Lorraine Newman, Michael O'Donoghue, Gilda Radner, and Bill Murray. So yeah, Garrett Morris was the first regular member on the cast of Saturday Night Live, who was in fact a black person. Now, back to the show. Now, you've either shared the stage with or rubbed shoulders with some pretty uh, top-shelf talent over the years, including Dave Chappelle, Jim Carrey, Norm MacDonald, Tommy Chung, and Margaret Cho. Did you have much of a friendship with Norm MacDonald, I'm curious? I knew Norm better when he started out, but, you know, Norm always danced to the beat of his own drums, so um, I probably hadn't spoken to him in the last 20 years, but uh, there's still good feelings after, uh, after all the time from the early years. Right. Now, of the people I mentioned, was there one person or the other that you had a tighter relationship with? Well, you don't get a chance to really have a tight relationship with anybody because you you work with them one or two weeks and you may not see them again for years, you know. I guess probably the closest would be Russell Peters because I knew him from, you know, from the beginning. And, you know, he's referred to me as a mentor and what have you. And he's taken me to open for him a couple of times, and, you know, recently. So, I mean, that would probably be the closest thing to like a real friendship. But all the rest is ships passing in the night, you know. It's like if you get to set in, it's like if Jeff Beck needed a drummer that night. Well, you, you drummed with him and shook hands and that was it, you know. So that's that's the nature of comedy. You don't really develop a lot of friendships unless you're living in the same town and, and what have you, or you come up together type of thing. I guess when I think about it, it's kind of the nature of the entertainment business, really, isn't it? Yeah. It's like how many people can say they, uh, they back Chuck Berry? Uh, a lot of musicians. How many can say they were friends with Chuck Berry? Not many. So... That is just like the nature of the game. You know, I met Jim Carrey when he first, when I first moved to Toronto and he lived in the apartment above me. And uh, it was like a comic tenement that we were living in at the time. And then my best friend, Wayne Fleming, who since passed away, was always like Jimmy's best friend since he was 16. So, you know, there are birthday parties where we were together at the same place together and what have you and whatnot. But, you know, uh, I wouldn't be able to pick up the phone and call him or anything. Okay. Now, tell me about the Nubian Disciples. Well, when I started this show, there were maybe six, seven black comics in the country working. Uh, that's going from Halifax to Vancouver. So, you know, I knew there, uh, let's just say that the gatekeepers did a real good job of keeping the gate closed. And the longer I was hanging around, the more I was meeting these young upstarts that needed a bit of a uh, bit of push. You know, they needed somebody to stick their foot in the door and, and let them in. And because of the position I was in, uh, respected and accomplished. I guess I was Johnny on the spot, so they say. Cool. So I'm assuming that you've you've mentored a lot of these young people and kind of helped them along their way through this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess it's going to be like this may be the fourth generation 
of Toronto-based Canadian comics that have come through the Nubian shows. You know, our very first show was Russell Peters. He was on this show. And then my son, he's great. He goes, Dad, have you ever heard of a comic named Kevin Hart? And I said, go in the garage, look in the cardboard box and say receipts, and you'll find two or three Kevin Hart autographs that say Little Kev. And next to it, you'll see $125, which is what I paid him. But later on, I paid him better when I put him on my TV show after hours. It was Leslie Jones' first time doing sketch was on my show After Hours. So, uh, like you said, I rubbed my shoulders with people that became big. Right, yeah. Yeah, and that uh, that show was hilarious. I used to watch it religiously. I was in electronic retail management for a long time, and after a long day on the sales floor, nothing like a, a little bit of comedy to, yeah, to wind down. Yeah, unfortunately, we only had the one season. We only had the one season, and... But we barely escaped. Uh, Bell had just taken over CTV, and uh, they came in and shopped a lot of shows. And I guess I was hiding somewhere in the old uh, in the old Shriners Temple there. So they, uh, they, you know, the Masonic Temple. So they weren't able to find me to tell me your show's done. Uh, I guess when they were cutting costs, we were an expensive show for the Comedy Network to have. I had the fat ass dancers. Whatever Canadian show did you ever see where they had that happening? That was great. Yeah, and I, you know. I just have to say I love their attitude. They, they're all, obviously, they're all very, um, shall we say, voluptuous women on the heavy they side. They were big girls. They were big girls, They were yeah. big girls. And they were all <laughs> just so proud and enthusiastic, you know, to be up there shaking it. And, and it was just great. Because none of them were professional dancers. We, uh, for the auditions, we sent some people to the different clubs, and they passed out cards and asked them if they'd come out and go for it. So, of course, there were some actresses that came out that heard through, you know, the normal channels. But, you know, like one girl was a dispatcher for a security company. Another girl worked in a stockyard type of thing at night, you know. So it was, um, it was a great experience for the three of them because uh, none of them had ever been in show business. If they had relasted a, a couple more years, you know, they probably would have got speaking parts and they got into sketches. So, um, you know, what could have been, would have been, should have been. Yeah, I get that. That's for sure. I don't know how many ships have sailed past me in the night. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So was there a pivotal moment that you would consider your first big break in the business? Well, you know the game. You know, you get one gig and you think it's going to pop things open for you and it doesn't. But then another thing leads to it. Like the Montreal Just for Last Comedy Festival. I thought I was going to pop open big with it. I got the reviews. I couldn't have paid somebody to write the reviews I got. And nothing happened. Nothing. In fact, I can almost say I know the night when my career ended, I had a bunch of people come down to Ernie Butler's comedy nest to see me do a spot. And uh, I just died that night. I just died. I picked the wrong material and just everything went into the toilet. But then years later, I never got to do another gala again or anything. But then I was a few years, uh, well, 10 years later, I was hired to uh, host the Best of the Fest, which basically is a club gig where all the people getting ready for galas they go and they work on their gala material so they're ready to go come the big show night. So, you know, it was almost like, uh, what was that Kevin Costner movie where he was the baseball catcher? Hmm. Bull Durham, maybe? You know, basically he was there to groom the pitchers. So basically my gig is to uh, make the, the night good for all the people that are, you know, doing the hot shows. Well, I was seen that night and I wound up getting a TV show that was taped in England. So I I'd wanted to go to England for years. So through that I was able to get two weeks uh, including the television taping at the Comedy Store in London and the Comedy Store in Manchester. So I was able to get there to a friend of mine 
I was able to get to perform in uh, Johannesburg, South Africa, for three weeks at a, at a comedy club that since has gone under and then various casinos that were in the area. So I've had breaks. When I finally was given the comics, that was the big thing on CBC that opened up the door for after hours. So, you know, one thing leads to another, but there never really is one thing that makes everything happen for you. That's only in uh, Barbara Streisand movies. Right, yeah. Star is born. And his, yeah. his name is Blackie Gleason. So tell me about that character from After Hours. I obviously know where the inspiration came from. But... Yeah, well, Wayne Fleming and I, we also did that on Wayne's comics as a B-side. Gleason was one of my early favorites as a kid. So, you know, it was just that came from, you know, I was having a six-hour car ride to north of Sudbury and, you know, uh, Fleming doing the Art Carney character. And then uh, I know that you know that I know. So just the uh, the hugeness of Gleason was something that I was able to pull off, you know, out of my pocket at any given time. So that was a no-brainer. It was something that we just did. We, you know, we used to improvise it. Uh, if we got on course during shows, we would do that, you know, as a little piece, just improvising off of each other and what have you. So it was, you know, it was one of those fun bits that you come up with. Yeah, and in quite the contrast to that character was Trevor G. Oh, see, now that was, yeah, that was a sketch that we were cranking out, I think, two shows a weekend. So that was just one of those things that we wrote, and then, you know, on to the next one. So some you hit with, and some you didn't. The thing is, they were all timely. Like, with uh, another show that I did called Thick and Thin, which is a one-hour special on CBC, we did Rented Dread, you know, which is a, a thing we wrote. <laughs> where um, it was overweight women or large women going to Jamaica for boyfriends. Well, so that one stands the test of time. It was a chance to work with some people that hadn't had a chance to have their talents displayed. And my biggest problem, I guess, with the TV shows I've had was I really had a reluctance to put myself in front of the camera much. It was more about passing, you know, handing the ball off as opposed to me trying to run down the sidelines with it. I got you. Yeah. I was very solo friendly. If I had a band... I'd say, give it up for the piano player now. Basically, that's what I'm still doing with the Nubian show. I come on and I do my opening 15, 20 off the top, and then uh, just bring the parade of the youngsters coming up and doing it. Well, you know, that's been kind of a hallmark of the successful artist I've found in conversations I've had with quite a few people over the years. It yeah. seems like the more generous you are, the better your life becomes. I mean, you look at Quincy Jones, you look at people like Miles Davis. I mean, you look at Ronnie Hawkins. When he died, there weren't enough people singing his praise. Everybody stepped forward to say, yes, I got... There isn't a, you know, but just about every musician that, that stayed here in Canada and dug their flag in was a hawk at one point. Yeah, I, you think, know? So, I think I was the only guitar player in Ontario that never played in the Hawks. But <laughs> well, You must have had a reason why you never made it down there, oh. you know? Maybe you're in a relationship that the woman heard that you won't make much money, but you'll get more tail than Frank Sinatra. And they may have been trying to convince <laughs> you that that wasn't going to work for either of you. Well, Who knows? But I mean, that's a legend of, of Ronnie Hawkins, you yeah, know? I was, uh, uh, believe, the last person to actually interview Ronnie Hawkins. Uh, okay. And the last time that I spoke with Ronnie, it was because I'd come across, stumbled across this video on YouTube. And it's recent. Uh, he recorded this cover version of me and Bobby McGee in, okay. in his living room with... With Christopherson Chris Christopherson, and Gordon Lightfoot. Chris Christopherson, Willie Nelson, and Gordon Lightfoot, if you can believe it. 
all yeah. in his living room. And it was produced by his son, Robin, I think, produced it. Yeah. I mean, the guy was literally steps away from death's door and he pulls off this really awesome cover of a classic tune. And the respect that he commanded from people, he had a huge party when he sold his big house. Uh, it was in September 2017. He had something like 13 different bands and various acts that showed up to perform for free. He had all yeah. these celebrities. You mentioned Chris Christopherson was there. Um, you know, all kinds of people like Nick Panasico, the record promo guy, and John Rollins, the photographer to the stars. All these people showed up. Beverly D'Angelo from the National Lampoon Vacation movies was there, and she was at one time a hawk as well. You know, and from what I'm told, it was just a huge event, and people just were gushing. And you know, he's he's one of those guys that just has really helped give people a step up. And you know, I respect people like you for doing that in the world of comedy too. You know, this this Nubian comedy review featuring all black up and coming performers. This is really cool of you to put on. But the thing was, even before the Nubians, that was my nature. You know, I can't tell you how many comics first time they came to Toronto crashed at my place. Or back when I was, you know, when I was young and saying I loved to mingle, you know, the bachelor apartment I had at Blur and Sherburn, it was, uh, it was comic central for everybody coming through town or when the clubs closed and the bars told us we had to leave. It was back to my place for people that lived on each side of me. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. But, you know, so that was just, uh, I always loved the comics. And, uh, you know, the easiest thing in the world is to give somebody a hand up. Like the first time Brent Butt was ever on the road was with me, you know, and he didn't have, uh, we had to travel by bus out in Alberta. So he was short on bus money and, and knife and fork money. So I, I covered that and I collected it from the booker when I got into town saying, I, you know, I've got to get an advance on his money. I'm in the hole now. Harlan Williams, who's big time stateside from Canada, his first paying gig was with me uh, when I was booking a room up in Newmarket. And I remember all the way we were driving up there, he's laughing in the backseat. You mean we're really going to get paid for this? And I said, of course we're going to get paid for this. What's wrong with you? You know, so um, yeah, I guess it's always been in my fiber. You know, you just reminded me of an interesting fact about 
comedy that doesn't apply through really the rest of the entertainment world, I don't think, is that you more or less have to intern, you know, doing the, uh, the open mic nights and, and so on and before you can really get noticed. Well, because most people don't start off with having 15 or 20 minutes of material, so you got to build an act before you can, you know, some people are open mics for, you know, 25 years, and, you know, I guess after year five, they should have, t- should have took notice. But, I mean, I know before when I wasn't considered, when Yuck Yucks didn't want to have anything to do with me, I hit every stage possible. And then I took Second City classes, and I, I met a gentleman named Kenny Komanos, who's, uh, I mean, it's really sad. Every time I mention a name, it's R.I.P., R.I.P., R.I.P. I feel like Jerry Lee Lewis, last man standing here. But anyway, he was getting out of the wet T-shirt contest business, and he said, do you want it? So it was $100 a night, and I wound up having two or three wet T-shirt gigs a week. And before I brought out the skin to win contest and, and the girls, I subjected the audience to whatever new material I had written since the previous week. So, you know, I found my own stage, you know, and if I was smart, I would have continued finding my own stages. But then I started booking so many shows that, yep, you know, eventually let me in because I guess I was, it's better to have me on the roster than to have me trying to build something up the opposite of them in hindsight. Right, yeah. Now, you had a recurring role on Billy Ray Cyrus' TV show, Doc. Doc, yeah. Yeah, how did that come together for you? Well, I went for the audition, and I, I played the character heavier than it wound up being, and I had no idea who the star of the show was or anything until the first day that we came in and shot the pilot. And I walk in, and I see it's Billy Ray Cyrus, and right away I start to panic because on my comics, which was getting a bit of play, you know, I did a thing about the truck driver during the L.A. riots that got yanked out of the truck where the joke was, that'll teach you to come driving through here playing that achy, breaky shit. So, you know... There I am, and he's the new boss. And I'm like, uh, but he was like one of the nicest cats you could ever hope to be. As far as being an actor, he knew that he didn't know much. So if the director told him to do something, he didn't say, but I'm trying to do this, or well, this is what I think. He goes, I believe you're right. And us actors of lesser rank on this show, he goes, your boy's going to get lunch yet? It's good today. And, you know, and he, he's just always a solid, solid kind of guy, you know? Right. Now, I'm a little bit curious, and you don't have to tell me an exact number, but I'm just wondering if a gig like that pays very well. Is it like a standard uh, Screen Actors Guild rate that you get for a recurring role like that? Well, that's the great thing about being in a union. You know, there's the actress scale. So you'll get that. I think that might be like $1,200 a day for each day you shoot and then residuals after five years or whatever, or buyout. But then the more you're wanted... And the more that you've got to face that, I think that the first uh, entry level, they call you a principal. And then I think the next level is actor. And then the next level is something else. So, you know, you may get scale and a half right. if they want you bad enough, you know. And then, of course, it's always what your agent can negotiate. You know, I've had times when I was on the road and they were able to negotiate that they flew me into the shoot and then flew me back to the shoot. So I did the two or three days with them and and then still went back to finish my tour. You know, I did that when I did that. Uh, I did the movie with Chris Rock, you know, but uh, you know, that was one of the situations where I was able to swing something like that. Editor's note, the movie that Kenny is referring to in which he appeared with Chris Rock was 2001's release, Down to Earth. Now back to the show. That's the nature. I still get a check for 7 or $8 every year for the Jimi Hendrix biofilm that I did that... Uh, 
halfway through, they fired the director, they destroyed everything, and just uh, reshot the entire film. So my kids will never get to see this scene where I rubbed Vivica Fox's leg as she tried to convince me to hire Jimmy to play in my Harlem nightclub. You know? So. Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of things that we really don't want our kids to see, right? <laughs> oh, that I wanted to see. I'd love for them to see me rubbing Vivica Fox's leg. They said, my daddy had it. You know? but, yeah, you uh, right now, they're kind of happy that they spotted me in uh, Umbrella Academy which of the third episode of the third season, which, you know, I had a, I had a day shoot in there and it was during the pandemic. So getting anything done during the pandemic was great. And uh, I no longer have a fear of being tested because I got tested like five times within uh, two days for this show. Yeah, no doubt. Now I saw that episode. That was actually pretty cool. And uh... yeah, it was, it was one and done, you know, too many of them one and done. Also there was the pilot. There was a pilot where I was like a Rob Ford type mayor. And there was talk that that was going to be reoccurring. And then, of course, Rob got sick. And then, you know, they were no longer making fun of him when there went that part down the drain before it could happen. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Now, you were... Private Eye. That was that was. Yeah. You were a co-host on Flow 93.5, their morning rush radio show for a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, Toronto's Urban FM. I did three years on that. And... You know, I'd always thought I wanted to do radio, and I guess 2001 was a hot year for me. I was I was shooting the TV show uh, and writing that, and then they approached me at the same time, and the question was, how do I start a gig at six in the morning and then go to this, you know, go to the office to write and then rehearse and then shoot on Sunday and then be back uh, on the air on Monday? So uh, the first year was kind of rough, and then but I. I loved it, but, you know, it was a hip-hop kind of station. And if I'm going into that vein, I would go, well, let's play some Al Green. They're like, we're not playing Al Green. We're playing Usher. And Jay-Z would be played more than Teddy Pendergrass. So um, it was a great experience for me. It was three years. And Nathan Downer and I, we had an after that show, we had a, a talk show that talked about current events or topics that, you know, we did for about 10 months or a year so. It was a good experience. I'd love to get back in radio. I love radio, but I hate the business of it. You know, that's how I feel about music anymore. Yeah. I love the music. I love to make my music for the love of the music. I just really don't like the music business, you know? Yeah, like doing radio is great, but then, you know, but the problem is then they have to have your your sound test where they check to see how the show was or they want you back at a staff meeting at two in the afternoon. But meanwhile, you were there at five 30 to start the day off and you're up at four 30 to get there, you know, or that we had to go to schools to do a noontime presentation, you know, and, uh, it's, that's a whole part of the business. Whereas, you know, I'd already been in, you know, a comic and an actor for 20, 30 years. So the whole idea that, you know, this radio thing was more closer to a job than, uh, just a continuation of, you know, being in the business we call show. So that was, uh, that was kind of hard for me to get used to. And when you're fired, you never get to say goodbye. Yeah. You ever wake up that one morning, your favorite radio host isn't there anymore, and you never know what happened? Yeah, apparently it happens a lot. You know, I, uh, I spoke to, I don't know if you ever knew Greg Simpson from London here. He was a fairly popular radio personality and he was in different aspects of the music business over the years. And he said to me, Mm -hmm. after over 50 years in the music business, I'm proud to say I have made hundreds of dollars. Yeah. uh, It is what it is, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, You've been been successful over the years and uh, kudos for that. Now, I'm curious. I've spoken to quite a few people in the entertainment business over the years who 
had day jobs while they were, you know, putting out their albums and so on. My last day job was when I was doing morning radio. Okay. <laughs> so I guess I've been successful since 84. Yeah. You know, or sometimes you get down on yourself. You know, you say, well, I don't have the fleet of expensive cars and I don't have the pool and I don't have the six bedrooms and the five bathrooms that go with it. But then considering that I, my reputation is for working blue as well as, uh, you know, being controversial. So I worked dirty and I raised and educated three kids. So, uh, you know, I guess I can call myself a success at that point. Your definition of success changes. You know, I know people that are working all the time as stand-up comics and they're doing the world and what have you, and yet they never became, they never crossed over to uh, the big movie screens and they don't feel like they've really done it. Yeah, I get it. I really do. You know, and I, uh, I know a lot of people in the business uh, in general who are not successful financially whatsoever, and some who are just so stubborn about you know, trying to make a living in particularly the music business that they don't even have their own place, you know, don't have a vehicle, you know, a drummer that has to have transportation provided to get to a gig and so on. Once again, kudos to you for, you know, having put in the work and pounded the pavement and done everything you've done to be where you are today, you know, and to have been able to raise a family. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised how many of my peers never married, never had to. I've been so lucky. I've been married twice. That's how fortunate I've been. So, <laughs> and, you know, it, it probably could have been married more. But then, uh, you know, you, uh, the women usually, you know, saw their red flags and kept moving. But, um, you know, I have friends that are past 50 and the, the business has slowed down on them and they look around and the road warriors they share the best days with are gone and they're looking around going, what was it all about? Well, you know, I just became a, a grandfather. I'm, I'm lucky. My daughter, my oldest daughter and my grandchild, they live in London. My father-in-law, uh, Peter Garland, was big time on the radio there in London for years. So London's always been like a second home to me as far as my family goes. My daughter works for course, and so does her husband. So it's kind of strange how they, you know, how the, the torch can just continues to get passed along. Really? Yeah. Now, speaking of passing things along, what's next for you? Well, I'm, uh, Darren Frost and I, we've been doing our tour, Rank and Vile, where uh, I'm not ashamed to say we are the undisputed kings of blue or adult humor in this country. Since March, uh, end of March, we've been from Halifax to Vancouver and damn near everywhere in between. And uh, it's the first time we're working as a duo in Toronto on July 8th at the Rec Room, new venue for us, and we're recording an album. I won't call it a CD because nobody calls it CDs, apparently. Nobody buys CDs anymore. And I got next to make, so I got about 400 of them in the front hall closet here. But, you know, we're recording another uh, album and new material because Sound Exchange, where we get played a lot on XM, has really been the only thing that saved the majority of comics during the, the, the two-year lockdown that we just had. So I always approached every new bit I wrote since we started getting uh, radio play with XM Radio as a 45 that's going to go on the jukebox. So you know, I try to write jukebox-friendly hits these days. So we've got brand new material that we're breaking out, and hopefully it all lands in there. I'm, I'm I've been doing more political or social commentary type material lately and then uh, less of the blue stuff. So now I've got some new dirty stuff I'm kind of uh, insecure, not sure about because it's it's new stuff, you know. Plus I'm talking about things that happened 25 years ago. So the memory may not be as great as you like it to be. I get you. Well, it sounds like the future is bright ahead. 
Is there any place online or whatever that people can go and actually pay for your content so that you get paid? Actually, they can go to KennyRobinson.com and they can order uh, my CDs from there. That's about it. I, I've never really signed on with all the different pay you play because they pay you like 11 cents for putting your entire album out or something. So they can still find some of my stuff at CD Baby. It's available there as well. So otherwise, I'm at the front table at the end of every show, still hawking the wares. Cool. Well, listen, Kenny, yeah. I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to do this with me. And until well, next time. My pleasure. We've been trying to get it done for a while now, so I'm glad we finally were able to pull this off. Absolutely. So until next time, cheers. Cheers to you. Thank you very much and take care. Well, as Kenny said, we really have been trying to get this interview done for some time, and I'm personally glad that we finally managed to get it together. And Kenny is on tour currently, so check out his Facebook page for all of his upcoming dates, and I'm sure you won't be disappointed when Kenny comes to town, you better be around. Now, here, without further ado, for your entertainment and listening pleasure, here is Kenny from his old TV show, After Hours, doing his Blackie Gleason bit. Enjoy. Boy, what a long day this has been. Hey, Ralphie Moore. Hey, Norton, how you doing there, pal? I got a great deal on some smoke today at work. At work? You work in a sewer. Yeah, I know I do, Ralph, but we were down in a sewer, and I guess the police raided some drug deal or something. Next thing I know, boom, pound of weed. Huh. Hey, what do you plan on doing with all that weed? Well, I was uh, thinking of smoking it all with you, Ralph. You know, I was thinking, Norton, I bet you we sold that weed, we can make enough money to take the girls for a trip to Niagara Falls. I don't know about that, Ralph. We don't know much about drug dealing. I know everything there is to know about drug dealing. All we got to do is take the weed, break it down to the smaller baggies, and then I sell it to everybody on my bus. Yeah. (laughs) And those with tokens will be token. Exactly. Let's see the grass. Oh, voila. Ooh. Hey, this looks like good stuff. It's wet, though. You know what? I bet you if we stick it in the oven, we can dry it out. Huh. <laughs> you know what, Ralph? We need some Ziploc bags. Trixie's got some upstairs. Good Come thinking. On. Come on. Now we're going to get rich on this one. Thanks for letting me use your oven, Alice. The landlord didn't have a chance to fix ours yet, and you know how much Ed loves my meatloaf. Ah, no problem, Trixie. I'll preheat the oven to 350, right? Yeah, I cook everything at 350. (laughs) Me too. It's Ralph's weight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) What's that smell? (laughs) I'm starting to feel a little hungry. Yeah, me too. Let's put the meatloaf in the oven right away. Sure, uh, Trixie? Something's burning. It's marijuana! It's reefer? Good shit! 
put it in the oven. I think we both have a good idea. Hey, Norton, you smell something? Uh, meatloaf, Ralph. No, you numbskull! <laughs> Alice! Uh, Alice! Did you see something that me and Norton had in here? We're his head somewhere trying to thaw out. Norton, tell her what we had. Uh, uh sewage. <laughs> Alice, we had something very important in here, and it's not there anymore. Don't worry, Ralph. It's right here. But you have some explaining to do. Did you take this money for the weed out of the cookie jar? Uh, no, Alice. He spent that on lap dancers. What? Would you shut up? <laughs> well, Alice, what happened was Norton found that weed in the sewer, mm. and we was thinking, if we sold the weed, maybe we'd find enough dough to be able to take you girls for a trip of a lifetime to Niagara Falls. Aw, that's so sweet. Aw, honey, you don't have to take us on a trip to Niagara Falls. We can have a trip right here. Tommy Solo's Famous Friends is a one-man production, meaning that I've done all the work, including guest acquisition, recording, editing, and so on. And hey, if you like the show, why not subscribe and help support us through Patreon at patreon.com slash tommysolo. The theme song for Tommy Solo's Famous Friends is a clip from my original composition, The Burn, all rights reserved. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for listening, and until next time, cheers. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 